0: Good morning. So I'm Aaron Winthers. I'm the husband of Nicole Winthers, who was up here earlier, and a thankful father of six beautiful children that are sitting out there, and I'm sure you guys have seen running around. Um, I came to know the Lord, I think, when I was about 12, and my father sent me off to a uh, United Methodist Bible camp called Camp Streamside. And I heard the gospel preached. My heart was convicted. I received the Lord. I'm going to be reading in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 44. That's on page 919 of our Bibles. So, Acts chapter 10, verse 44, page 919 of our Bibles. And uh, I should remind you that this is picking up in the middle of a story, and Larry is going to bring some context when he preaches preaches the sermon this morning. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is God's word. Father, we thank you for your word, uh, we thank you for its power, and uh, I just pray that you bless Larry now as he opens up your word to us. Um, as he says, uh, it's really about the spirit, the flesh counts for nothing, so I pray that by your spirit you would bless him to preach the word with accuracy and that it would convict our hearts and comfort us in Christ's name, amen.
1: Good morning, everyone. How are you? Amen praise God! we are blessed, we are blessed indeed uh, this past week, I served on uh, a jury for a uh, civil case in in the federal district court in Camden, and uh, i'm allowed to talk about it now okay because it's over and done with I'm not going to give you all the details, but we were asked to determine uh, whether the plaintiff in this case had been unreasonably stopped by a Camden police officer. Uh, now, there, there was an awful lot of information and testimony for us to digest, but the key uh, piece of evidence was the body-worn camera footage uh, in which the officer uh, got out of his car and approached these two uh, men who were standing on a porch in Camden, And uh, in a span of 22 seconds from the time he stepped out of the car, he told the men to sit down on the porch. And that act of calling them to sit down was what's called a seizure. And uh, the uh, plaintiff in the case was arguing that the police officer did not have reasonable suspicion to believe that a crime had been committed or was being committed or was about to be committed that would warrant him to tell the men to sit down. So he was arguing that his constitutional rights had been violated by the police officer. That's what we were deliberating, that's what we were weighing in this case. And uh, when we got to the deliberations, uh, though again there had been many many hours of testimony uh, given, we the eight of us got into the the deliberation room and we spent a lot of time looking at those couple of minutes again on the the body camera footage we 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 didn't slow it down because we wanted to hear the audio and the video at the same time but we we just watched it over and over again there there had been a lot of things that happened prior there was a lot going on prior to uh, those 22 seconds beginning Uh, There was stuff that happened after it that was pertinent, but we we locked in and we paid very careful, close attention. We watched over and over again that short amount of uh, video because what happened in those 22 seconds was a very big deal in deciding this particular case. Now, as we continue our study of the book of Acts. I'm, I'm telling you what I just told you, not to just arouse your curiosity. You want to know all about the case and what happened. I hope we can stay focused on God's word. But Luke, in this particular passage of scripture, is slowing down the footage of his account of the church's growth in the first century. That's what the book of Acts is, is about. It is, it is chronicling roughly 30 years of church history from the time of Jesus' ascension to the time that the Apostle Paul arrives in Rome under house arrest. About 30 years transpire in the book of Acts, and in that account of 30 years, right, obviously this was not an exhaustive history being given. We've got 30 years of history that fits into about 30 pages of our Bibles, but in that relatively short account of history, a lot of space, a lot of detail and attention and repetition is given to the arrival of the gospel in this one Roman household. Why is that? Well, it's, it's because something happened in this home in Caesarea that was a big deal in this house god showed his people that salvation right forgiveness of sins peace with god is for all people for all peoples as you've heard regularly throughout our service it's not just for jews it's for people of all ethnicities, ethnic heritage is no barrier to getting in on the gracious salvation that God has provided in and through the Lord Jesus. And we, we, we paid some attention to that last week and particularly how God had so clearly orchestrated this event to make that truth known. Now, there's another layer to the teaching of this passage that I think also makes this event worthy of slowing down and paying careful attention to, and it's, it's this. Because of that peace with God that comes to all who rely upon Jesus, no matter what their ethnicity is, because of, all, because of that peace that comes to all who rely on Jesus, very different kinds of people are joined together in intimate fellowship with one another. The gospel not only brings salvation for people from all ethnic backgrounds who come to Jesus in faith and repentance, but all who come to Jesus become part of one single, undivided family. And and that's what We want to think about together this morning as we return to the the second half of this passage, which we began to study last week. To help us think about the passage, uh, I want to just pose and answer uh, three questions. First, what happened? Second, what does it teach us? Third, what should we do about it? Not very creative. I was, I was serving in jury all week, okay? What happened? I, I think this will help us, though. I, I think we'll get a good read on this text with these three questions. What happened? What does it teach us? What should we do about it? So what happened here? Well, I think we can trace what happened in four steps. First, Bible's open. Good to keep your Bibles open. Uh, Verses 44 to 48 of chapter 10, some Gentiles get saved. Uh, Verse 44 begins... While Peter was still saying these things, and and as Aaron alluded to when he got up and read the passage, there's obviously stuff going on here that we need to be reminded of. I'm not going to go into great detail because we talked about verses one to 43 of this passage last week. If you were not here, you can uh, go to our website and you can listen to that sermon. But this is taking us back to the circumstances that happened. This uh, and it's recounted really in uh, Peter's explanation of what happened here in chapter 11. there was an angelic appearance, an angel appeared to this Roman centurion, uh, Cornelius, instructing him to send for Peter, who would declare to him a message by which he would be saved. And while Cornelius was having that angelic vision, uh, Peter, who was in the city of Joppa, was having a vision of his own three times. God brought this sheet of Uh, coming down from heaven with all different kinds of food, clean foods, and what the Jews regarded as unclean foods. And so there was this vision, and, and, and Peter didn't understand what was going on, but through all the circumstances as they were together, Peter began to realize this wasn't really about foods, but this was about people, And not calling people unclean whom God was intending to cleanse through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. He was beginning to understand the good news of peace in Christ was for all peoples. That God was not a God of partiality. And so he showed up at Cornelius' house and he preached the word of Jesus. He preached the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And now in verse 44 we're told that while peter was still saying these things he was still preaching the word he hadn't he hadn't landed that plane yet he hadn't got to his concluding remarks yet but while he was preaching the holy spirit interrupted the sermon sometimes i'm asked why we don't do altar calls at joy and I'm not saying this is the verse, this is no proof text or anything, but I, we, we, one reason why is we, we, we do call people to faith and repentance. I hope you hear uh, us calling people to faith and repentance. Let me call you to faith and repentance right now, actually, not in my notes, but important to do every Sunday that we gather. If you're here this morning and you have not made peace with God through Jesus, that is what God wants for you today. That is what he's calling you to today. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. God made us for himself. He has given us life and breath and everything. All that we have and all that we owe are to him. Every legitimate pleasure we enjoy is from God. And yet humans have resisted him. Humans have ignored him. And to ignore one who has given you life and breath in everything is a great evil. And that great evil deserves a great punishment, which is everlasting conscious torment in hell. But God... Being rich in mercy sent his dearly loved son into the world to live the perfectly sinless life that we have all failed to live and he completed that obedience by giving his life on the cross to die, bearing in his body the punishment that we deserve for our sins so that if any would turn away from their sin and come to Jesus and rely upon Jesus, they would be forgiven and they would be brought into God's family. And if you've come here today and you've never received that message personally, that is God's call to you today, to turn from your sin, to call yourself a bankrupt sinner in need of God's mercy, and to rely upon Jesus who will rescue you today. If I can expound upon that some more or clarify that with you later, please do speak to me. I will not yell at you like I'm doing right now. We believe that as that message is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit will do his work in his people. And that's what he does here. And the Jewish believers who came with Peter, they're just amazed by this because they see the Holy Spirit falling upon these Gentiles and it's all very reminiscent of the experience that they themselves have had back on the day of Pentecost, which is recorded in chapter 2. Not like you, maybe you also have questions. You want to talk about these speaking in tongues more. Not going to get into that a lot today, but what's important for you to see is that the experience that these Gentiles were having in Cornelius' household, it was so reminiscent to what had happened to the Jews on the day of Pentecost that they were realizing like, oh, they're in too. They're in like us. You see that at several points in this passage. They received the Spirit in such a tangible and evident way that Peter understood it was appropriate to baptize them in water to recognize that they had been brought into God's family. They had been, as it says at the end of the passage, they had been granted repentance leading to life. The Gentile Cornelius and his Gentile household got saved in response to the word of God and the spirit of God working together, God saved them. And it was clear. Okay, so that's step one. Some gent- uh, the other steps are going to go quicker, actually. Some Gentiles got saved. Second step, some Jews were not very happy about it. We see this in verses one to three. Of chapter eleven, right? The apostles and brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, "You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them." Now, these this circumcision party, pretty confident, and, all, and the commentators all seem to be of one mind on this. These were Jew, these were Jewish believers. They were Christians. They had come to Jesus, but they still had very strong Jewish convictions. And they were critical here. They were troubled. It does not seem that they were troubled that the word of God was preached to these Gentiles, but that Peter had eaten with them. Maybe they were okay in affirming that the message of salvation in Christ was for all, but sharing meals with all? That they understood to be a violation of Jewish custom, and it was they understood it to be a, a forfeiting, a compromising of their Jewish identity. We'll come back to that shortly. But notice thirdly, then, Peter responds to the criticism by explaining what had happened. We see that in verses 4 to 16, and he chronicles for them what God had done, all the ways that God had brought this circumstance about, and and he reminds them of the word of Jesus there in verse uh, 16, I think it is. Is it 15 or 16? Verse 16, this is what Jesus had said was going to happen. It's all gone down, And, and Peter's is very clear. This is God's doing. It wasn't Peter's decision to bring salvation to the Gentiles. God did it, and he did it all. And if he had done it so powerfully and so unmistakably, and if he had done it in a way that was just so much like what they themselves had experienced on the day of Pentecost, he says in verse 17, who am I to stand in God's way? And then finally, fourthly, we see that these once critical Jews were silenced. They had no answer they were corrected and they gave praise to god that was due to god right look see how the passage ends there in verse 18 they heard these things and they fell silent and they glorified god saying then to the gentiles also god has granted repentance that leads to life So that's what happened. A a Gentile household got saved, but some Jewish people were not happy about that, or at least the implications of it. Fellowship happening with Jews and Gentiles. But Peter explained the whole story to them, and they ended up giving praise to God for bringing salvation even to the Gentiles. So what do we learn from this story well, I, I think there are probably a number of lessons that there are t- for us to learn. Uh, I always welcome you to continue the conversation about the sermon after this Lord's Day and talk about it amongst yourselves, about what lessons you're learning, how you're being challenged or instructed or encouraged from the Word. But there's one main takeaway, one main lesson I think that this passage has to communicate to us that I want to press down upon for a few minutes, because it's here in the text, and because it's something that I don't think we talk about very often, and the, the, the lesson is this, ethnocentrism is a great evil to be resisted and repented of, because every Christian shares in the same spirit. Ethnocentrism is a great evil to be resisted and repented of because every Christian shares in the same spirit. Perhaps some of you say, Ethno, what? Ethno, what is them? What, what's that? Uh, okay, I'll give you Merriam Webster's definition of. Ethnocentrism is the attitude that one's own group, ethnicity, or nationality is superior to others. That, you could call it, if you want to just make it more simple than ethnocentrism, you could just say ethnic pride. That is a great evil which is to be resisted and repented of where it is present because the gospel declares that every single christian shares in the same spirit and is thus bound together in the same family even i'll try to show you from god's word no i'm not going to try to show you i'll just actually show you from god's word the same race every single christian is part of the same race Now let's be clear as we begin to think about this lesson that there's more going on here in this passage than simply um, what we would call today racism or ethnic discrimination. The the laws related to circumcision and to the the dietary restrictions of what were the clean foods and what were the unclean foods, they, they were part of God's commandments to the nation of Israel to uh, aid them, to help them in maintaining a distinct identity among the nations. They were to be a people who were set apart from the nations, they were to be distinct. And the the circumcision party here, who was critical of Peter, they did not yet understand, just as Peter himself hadn't understood a few days earlier, they didn't understand that now, with the arrival of Jesus and with his mandate to take the message of salvation to all nations, to establish for himself a multi ethnic family. They didn't yet realize that those shadows of, of dietary laws and circumcision, that those shadows were passing away and that God was now doing a new thing by uniting the nations together in his son, not in a list of outward rules and regulations. They didn't understand that yet. So there is some justifiable uh, ignorance and confusion in this criticism that comes to Peter when they say, you ate with uncircumcised Gentiles. Peter himself, as I said, he, he, he had been experiencing that same ignorance uh, just a few days earlier. If you uh, have your Bibles open still, look at verse 28 of chapter 10. Uh, Aaron didn't read this, this verse. This was from last week's passage that we talked about. But after the angelic vision of Cornelius and after Peter had this vision of the sheet coming down and when, when Peter finally got to Cornelius' household uh, and, and remember it says Cornelius bowed down and worshiped him and, and Peter said, get up, I'm, I'm a man, you shouldn't be bowing down before me. What did he say immediately? He said to them, verse 28, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Hmm. That's very interesting. Peter said to them, you know how unlawful it is for me, a Jew, to associate with or visit someone, or anyone of another nation. Anyone know what command of God Peter is referring to when he mentions how unlawful it was for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone from any other nation. What what command is that from God's word? Jason knows, right? Anyone want to take a stab at it? There's not one. Trick question. There's not one. That's not in the Bible at all. In fact, if there had been such a command in the Bible, it would have been completely antithetical to the whole purpose and plan of God. From the formation of the nation of Israel, right, the, for, the beginnings of the nation of Israel is Genesis 12. God made a covenant with Abraham. Have you been talking about that, Steve, in your missions class? God made a covenant with Abraham when he, when he began to form the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. He said, I'm going to bless you, and this blessing, you will be the instrument, the channel of God's blessing to all the nations. And they re- that refrain gets repeated again and again and again throughout God's word. It's like we we sang this. I don't know a couple of you, I don't know if Jeff remembers this. I don't know if Dan remembers this. In 2006, we were at a conference uh, in Minneapolis. Jim Myers was there. Any idea about how long ago it was? Okay, um, and we sang that song, that doxology, praise God thing, and that refrain: "In every land, by every tongue, let our Redeemer's name be sung." And and, and I may have embellished this in my head. But, but I think we went on that, on that, just that, those two lines, we went there for like five minutes. It was just over and over and over in every land, by every tongue, let our Redeemer's name be sung. And that reality was embedded in the consciousness of the people of Israel. And so they would sing. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, Psalm 67, or Psalm 117, which we heard read in its entirety at the beginning of the service. All the peoples, let the peoples praise the Lord. That was a part of their whole identity. But in the years and the centuries that would follow, they had taken God's commands, which were intended to help them maintain a holy and distinct identity among the nations, and they had turned it in to man-made rules and traditions that were taking them away from the plan and purpose of God. They actually, in, there's a, a, an apocryphal book called the Book of Jubilees, okay, not part of scripture, but reflective of the sentiment of the Jewish people in the days in between the end of the Old Testament and the arrival of Jesus. And in the Book of Jubilees, there's instructions to the Jewish people that says, separate yourself from the nations and eat not with them. And do not according to their works and become not their associate for their works are unclean and all their ways are a pollution and an abomination and an uncleanness. How are you going to bless the nations when that's your attitude towards the nations? That wasn't God's word to them. That was them turning God's command to be holy, which was a good thing, into justification for ethnic pride, which was a great evil. So yes, there was some things going on here with some laws changing and the arrival of Christ bringing about some new things that they didn't understand, but there was also, I understand from the history and from the scriptures, there was some religiously based ethnic discrimination happening in this criticism. Not the word of God, but extrapolating and going beyond the word of God to create traditions that elevated one ethnic group above all the others and despised the others. You ate with them? I wonder if the circumcision party, I wonder if they would have been okay with the establishment of the Caesarean First Baptist Church provided that the Jewish First Baptist Church of Caesarea was safely and comfortably gathering somewhere else in Caesarea. I wonder if that would have been okay. But what would that have shown? What would that have promoted? That's not what Jesus came to do. God doesn't just want the gospel to go to his people without discrimination, without distinction. He wants his churches to reflect that distinction. Jesus did not come to create a Jewish church and a Gentile church. He did not come to create a Chinese church or a Russian church, or a Ukrainian church, or a Nigerian church, or a white middle-aged church, or a Romanian church, or a Korean church, or a Latino church, that's not the picture that we got in Revelation seven, is it? In, In glory, all of God's people from every nation gather around his throne without distinction, all united together singing about how they stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, singing about hallelujah, what a savior. There's not, I, don't, I didn't see it in the, in the picture of Revelation 7, a little Chinese pocket over here, a, a little Japanese section over here, a little European section over here praising. No, it said they were all gathered together praising the Lord. Salvation belongs to our God. And it is absolutely true that that breathtaking assembly will not fully be realized until we enter into that final glory. But it can be experienced. It is meant to be experienced at least partially now in his churches. And I'm confident that it's intended to be and that it can be reflected in his churches now even while we wait for that final glory that Revelation 7 depicts for us because the New Testament is very clear, not just then, but now, that Jesus came to create in himself one new people. That is one new race. Peter, good old Peter here, going and eating with uncircumcised Gentiles, he would write to the church a few uh, years later, 1 Peter 2, chapter 9, you, he's writing to the church. He's writing to Gentiles, Jews, the people of God. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Paul was passionate about this same. You know, you know, Paul, he had reason to boast in his flesh and his ethnic heritage, right? I mean, he had some, he could have if he wanted to. Philippians chapter 3. He actually said, in light of Christ, it was all rubbish to him. He wrote to the Ephesians, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, he's talking to the Gentiles, you who once were far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one. What is he talking about? Made us both one. I heard somebody whisper Jew and Gentile, and if you were unconfident in your answer, you are correct. Say it confidently. He came to bring both Jew and Gentile together. He's made us both one. He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, one new people, a new humanity in place of the two, so making peace. I have one friend who summarizes those verses in Ephesians 2 in these three succinct statements. We were all far from God, but now we're all in Christ. He's talking to the church, okay? He's talking to Christians, those who have believed in Christ, we were all far from God, but now we're all in Christ, and our ethnicity had nothing to do with it. Uh, one writer, in uh, Shylin, in in his book *The New Reformation*. If any of you were looking at it on your bucket list, I want to read a book that has a chapter title called "Is Martin Luther My Homeboy?" <laughs> if that's on your bucket list, read a book with a chapter with that title. You could get Shylin's book *The New Reformation*. He says this, Jesus made no ethnic distinctions in who he died for, so why would his people make ethnic distinctions in who they fellowship with? that's what's being displayed in the church's pursuit of ethnic reconciliation. That's what's being declared when whites and blacks and Hispanics and Asians all come together and proclaim with one voice, salvation belongs to our God. That's a mystery, Paul says in Ephesians 3 that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And all this gets highlighted very vividly to the glory of God when all different kinds of people, different ethnicities, I'm making something of ethnicity today because it's clearly an ethnic issue that's happening here in Acts 11, but we could talk about other dividing lines as well. We could talk about uh, generational dividing lines or economic dividing lines or marital status dividing lines, when different people, different kinds of people unite in worshiping the God who saved them and granted them to share in the same spirit, that helps, that makes God look glorious. It makes his salvation appear glorious as it is. So Paul writes to the Corinthians. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. That's why I said there's no place for ethnocentrists. I can't even say it myself. Let's just say ethnic pride. There's no place for ethnic pride because every Christian shares in the same spirit. Here, Sister Nicole read it. You could have recited it. I bet you could have done it. But Here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Let me just read you a couple sentences from Doug Moo's commentary on Colossians on that verse, because I just love it so much. I'm cutting an application point right now as I speak, because I want to share this quote to you. With you, he says about Colossians three eleven, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, nor barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Christ is all and in all. He says those who belong to Christ constitute a new humanity within which the distinctions of this world, while not obliterated, are relativized. Paul still understood himself as a Jew. He doesn't erase. Coming to Christ doesn't erase all of our ethnic differences. It relativizes them. It's not an issue in terms of our fellowship and how we relate to each other. Moo goes on. Jews are still Jews in Christ. Gentiles are still Gentiles in Christ. Slaves are still slaves in Christ. But those earthly identities are no longer what is most important. Solidarity in Christ is now the ruling paradigm for the new community. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And Peter was waking up to all this as he spent this time in Caesarea and and shared with these, I think, well-meaning but badly mistaken Jewish critics. If the Gentiles hold fast to the same gospel if they've been granted to share in the same Holy Spirit, then we are to happily, wholeheartedly embrace them and live as one with them. Ethnocentrism is a great evil to be resisted and to be repented of because every Christian shares in the same spirit. Kids, and I was excited. I didn't mention anything to the kids last week. I apologize. I was off my game last week. I didn't catch what that was. But I like a little interaction. I've got no problem with interactions. Kids, you're, maybe you grew up singing this song. Maybe your parents grew up singing this song. I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Kids, never, never, never make fun of someone because of how they look or because of how they talk, because of their skin color or because of their hair, because to make fun of someone else is to make fun of God himself, who is the one who made all those different kinds of people in his own image. And kids, if you ever, I'm just not only telling you not to make fun of other people, but if you ever hear someone else making fun of another person because of their skin color or their hair or anything about them, speak up. And stick up for that person when you hear someone doing that. Because Jesus loves all the little children of the world. Jesus is the end of ethnocentrism. When we survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, our richest gain we count but loss and we pour contempt on all our pride. And that includes our ethnic pride. Jesus is what our intensely divided nation needs to enjoy interracial peace and harmony. Doesn't that just seem crazy that in the 21st century, in the year 2023, with all of the strife and conflict that has happened about race and ethnicity, in the last three years especially, we might, I think it has been ratcheted up another level since the murder of George Floyd in May of 2020, what our intensely divided nation needs most is the peace that is found in Jesus. And for those of us for whom Christ has become all in all, we ought to be leading the way in showing that peace and harmony. So that leads me to one final question. What should we do about it? What should we do about it? And I have one since I scrapped one. Let me just tell it to you without explaining it, because you could do this without me having to explain it. Application one is, praise God for the grace of repentance. If you're here and you're a Christian and you've repented of your sin, God did that. He brought that about. And just like these people at the end of Acts 11 gave praise to God, we should give praise to God. That's application number one. Secondly, a little more lengthily. One specific way I believe that we can aim to give God praise is to be alert to any ways in which our own preferences, traditions, or prejudices might make our lives or our church unwelcoming to all different kinds of people. I'll say that again because that not, that's not an easy one to take notes on. You can just listen. I'm happy to give you my notes afterwards. One specific way we can aim to give God praise is to be alert to any ways in which our own preferences or traditions or prejudices might make our lives or our church unwelcoming to all different kinds of people. As I tried to communicate at the beginning of the message, this was a big moment for the church. That's why Luke is dwelling on it in such detail and with such repetition. But this issue of, of Gentile inclusion and relationship between different ethnicities was not settled here and there at this moment when Peter refuted his critics and they all acknowledged, well, God saved the Gentiles, praise God. It was not over then. Uh, that's what the references that I've given you in Colossians and Galatians and Ephesians and Corinthians shows Paul that the apostles just had to keep talking about this. Many scholars believe the entire purpose for the, the writing of the letter to the Romans was to deal with tensions and misunderstandings between Jewish and Gentile Christians in Rome. We're going to see it again in Acts chapter 15. It's an issue. We're going to see it again in Acts chapter 21. It's an issue. If you were to keep reading the Bible, you would see even Peter Peter who brought the gospel to the Gentiles who was defending Gentile inclusion with the Jewish critics. We would see in Galatians chapter 2 Paul has to confront him publicly because Peter is so he's hanging out and eating with the Gentiles, but some people from the circumcision party come and Peter shrinks back. He doesn't want to be seen with the Gentiles and Paul calls him out and says you're out of step with the gospel. Historically, it has been very hard for Christians to hold this truth with integrity. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. We understand that's been an issue in the United States of America in its history, and I think it carries on in our own day. And what I'm, what I'm asking you to consider this morning is whether that truth, Christ is all and in all, is that truth being declared in your life and in your relationships? Is it being declared in our church? Or do we actually prefer the comfort of affinity? Affinity? Do we, do we prefer to live and worship and recreate and eat with only people that are just like us? We're celebrating 30 years tonight as a church. And uh, I was not here when Joy Community Fellowship was planted. I was an unbelieving 16-year-old There are words coming to my mind, but someone's probably going to rebuke me if I, they're not, someone's, I'll just say, I was an unbeliever, in 16-year-old in 1993. But I know from research, I know from thinking about church growth and church planting and just all the reading and studying I've done about that in the past decade, let's say, I know that in 1993 it was very common, it was even in some ways I would say an unquestioned conviction, that Uh, church growth experts had that if you wanted to gather people and grow a vibrant church what you needed to do was you needed to target a certain segment of like-minded, culturally similar, economically similar people and go after that specific group of people. And if you didn't the likelihood of your church growing would be very slim. That was the prevailing wisdom about planting churches. And I think that's out of step with the gospel. I think rather the gospel is saying and I tried to just give you a whole bunch of scripture today so that you could maybe try to hear me and not just think what I think some of you probably are thinking right now oh he's going woke oh he's drunk the cultural kool-aid too now I thought we held out for a while I just try to give you a lot of scripture to say this isn't a woke thing this is not some liberal policy this is not Kamala Harris's twitter profile This is the Word of God. And I think the Word of God is communicating to us that it is a good and right and beautiful thing when Christians of different ethnic origins live and worship and recreate and eat together in joyful, Christ-magnifying peace. I think that's a good and right and beautiful thing. And therefore, it's a thing worth pursuing. And I'm asking you to consider. I said, that's a great application, Larry. You're asking me to think. That's right. You want to know my biblical warrant for telling you. The application is think. Chapter 10, verse 19. I am wrapping it up, I promise. While Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said something to him. Peter didn't understand what was going on. He didn't know what to do with that vision. He was thinking, and the Spirit communicated to him. So I'm asking you to think about all this. If it's a good and right and beautiful and biblical thing for ethnic peoples of different origins to recreate and live and worship and fellowship with each other, what are we going to do about that in our 97% Caucasian church? And if you're, if you're not first saying, oh, he's going woke... what what you may be inclined to say is, that's not realistic. This is is such a homogenous area. That's not going to happen here. And there's some some validity to that, but I would say this. ShopRite is a mile and a half away. And when I walk in there, it's not 97% Caucasian. So... uh, The Bible does have a good bit to say about ethnicity and I think the most important thing it has to say and I think it's the thing that is illustrated here in this incident with Cornelius and Peter and the circumcision party is that here there's not Greek and Jew. Circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And I'm just asking us to consider can we say that here? meaningfully and sincerely? Can we say that here? If not, what, what's maybe in the way of our being able to say that more faithfully? How can we positively cultivate an environment and a spirit in the church where it's clear when someone walks in that this church isn't for a particular kind of person? whether a a, a person of a particular ethnic identity or some other cultural or outward distinctive, but a church where we declare, Christ is more to me than my ethnic heritage. Christ is more to me than my marital status. Christ is more to me than my generational era or my musical taste. Christ is more to me than life. Christ is all and in all. And where he has done that, let me not act like it hasn't happened at all, Where he has done that, praise God. And can we continue to think and pray for and work towards movement in this area that we would maybe increasingly characterize that coming day depicted in Revelation 7 when all the nations and languages are gathered around his throne. That day is coming. And I'm simply calling us to consider and pray that we might experience more of the unity of the Spirit so that we could experience more now of what is coming then. And that you wouldn't immediately say, it's woke or it can't happen. Let's not say that. But let's ponder and pray. Love you, brothers and sisters. (coughs) Heavenly Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for the grace of repentance. Thank you that you have chosen to save people from all tribes and nations and languages, and we eagerly look forward to that day when we will all gather together around your throne declaring salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. We pray that you would help us to be thoughtful and considerate, that we would be responsive to your word, that we wouldn't be driven by cultural or political agendas, but that we would be driven by the agenda that your word declares for us. That you would help us to experience rest in Christ, in Christ, grace in Christ, and growth in Christ, that your name would be hallowed in us. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.